1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Let me give you the first point or kind of the italicized point that arches over all this. I think is, is that on there. Do I have the point on there first or did I put the scripture up first? It, right at the top of your notes it says, uh, with proper attitude and motive, eternal rewards, rewards are earned through my, so with a proper attitude and motive, eternal rewards are earned through my, here's why I put that little caveat on there. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, says it very well. Excuse me, jump back please. 1 Corinthians 13, here we go. Paul says this, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what Paul's saying there is if I have great spiritual powers, you could say, I can speak in tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, meaning I'm useless. So I can have this great spiritual power, but if I don't have love, it's useless. He goes on to talk about great knowledge. He says if I have prophetic powers, meaning I can proclaim God's truth, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So I can have great spiritual power, I can have incredible spiritual knowledge, but if I don't have love for God and love for people, it means absolutely nothing, it gains me nothing. And then he ends with this, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul's saying, if I have the greatest spiritual powers, if I have the greatest spiritual knowledge, or I make the greatest spiritual sacrifice, but I don't have love, that my heart's not in the right place, I don't love God, I'm not doing it out of love for God, I'm not doing it out of love for people, then you gain absolutely nothing. There's other places we can go in the scriptures to point this out, but this is so important. These rewards are not something you can dupe God with. They're an outworking of your love for him and a love for others, period. And if that's absent, then all the spiritual power, all the spiritual knowledge, and all the spiritual sacrifices you make will gain you nothing if it's absent of love. Okay, so keep that big picture in mind as we go through these eight things I'm gonna share with you today. So the first one is this, with a proper attitude and motive, eternal rewards are earned through my personal spiritual life. Through my personal spiritual life. Many different places we could go to to see this, but one of the best ones is in Matthew chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus addresses three key spiritual acts that the, the Jewish people would have practiced at that time and he was communicating about how they can be done and how they shouldn't be done. He says this, beware of practicing your righteousness, your spiritualness, you could say, before other people in order to be seen by them. Okay, really important, I'm highlighting some things and underlining because some of these passages are very misunderstood and misused today because people don't read the whole passage. Notice he says, don't practice them before other people in order to be seen by them. He doesn't just say don't ever practice any kind of spiritual thing in front of other people. He says for the purpose of being seen by them. We're all gonna do, like Matthew, just earlier in this message, Jesus said, let your light shine before men. Let people see your good works so they will glorify your God in heaven. What he meant by that is don't hide yourself in a little spot and and stay in your little bubble and not live in the world where other people can see who God's changed you to be. But that's different than doing those things in order to be seen by other people and receive their praise. Are you with me? 
Okay, so that's what Jesus said. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So understand this. This is, I think, a simple way to think of this. Anytime you do something to get someone else's pat on the back, you lose God's. But anytime you do something purely because the first and foremost thing, person you want to please is God, then you receive a greater reward. Doesn't mean you won't ever receive pats on the back from others. But if that's your motive, then you lose your reward with him. Real simple, real important principle. So now he's going to explain that in three different uh, religious practices. He says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now look at this for a minute because this is another misunderstood passage. A lot of people use this passage to say we should never know what other people are giving or, or any, any time we have knowledge of, of what person's giving that's wrong, it should all be totally secret. That's not what the Bible says. It says in a very specific context. It says when you give to the needy, don't make it public. This is, think of this. This is how good Jesus is, how much he loves every single person regardless of their status. How many of you, let me just ask you this. How many of you have ever been in a spot where you were in great need and you needed someone else's help. You just found yourself in a horrible spot. Maybe you've made some poor just choices, whatever it is. We've been there where we needed someone to help us get through a situation. And you know how you can humiliate a person that's in a place of need? Is publicize what you're doing to help them out and use them to get praise for how righteous you are. And sadly, Christians do this all the time. We bring the newspapers in. We, we, now, they might show up without us knowing, but well, we publicize it, and we don't ever stop to think, what about these kids who are receiving this gift, who are having their need met, that are, in a sense, being humiliated, put down in their need, so that we can look good in our righteous acts? Jesus loves the needy just as he does those who have their needs met. And he loves the dignity of each of them and says, when you do that, you don't need to be rewarded by everyone else. You just love that person because of the need, and, and I love them, and, and I'm going to reward you far greater than anyone else could. Mo passage moves on. Watch what happens. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So we do it secretly when we're giving to someone who's in need so that their dignity can be protected. Because every one of us has been in that spot at some point. That your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now he moves on to praying. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Jesus is not denouncing public prayer. All through the Bible, we see people praying publicly. We pray publicly in church, but they were praying that they may be seen by others, that they may be noticed by others. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And he's going to tell us how we should pray. He says, but when you pray, next slide please. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Third thing is, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's a little application. Getting through the whole church service without eating is not considered fasting. I'm telling you. Because some of you, by the time I get to the end, your face is contorted a little bit. You're thinking about what you're going to eat. I'm telling you, you've already received your reward when that happens, all right? That was a freebie for you. I'm just giving that one for you guys alone, okay? Next one. This is just a passage in Psalm 119, which is all about the scripture. And David says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Obviously, sinning against God compromises our reward. Obeying God secures it and and earns that reward that he promises. What we do privately and personally is every bit as important as what we do publicly. Coming to church every single Sunday does nothing for you if you live a personal life that's not consistent with who God has called us to be. And so how we live personally about our relationship with God, how we pray, how we do things that others don't see, and how we live spiritually before him is one of the things that God has promised to reward. He sees everything that we do. You don't have to be a great public figure to receive a great reward. You just need to be faithful. Second thing is I can receive a reward through guarding spiritual truth, through guarding spiritual truth. This, this little passage deals with kind of the corporate nature of the body. In Second John, uh, John was writing to the church and the elders and talking to them about uh, them guarding the truth. So if you go to the Second John passage, it says this, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. So John was writing to the church telling them there's lots of false teachers that are going around. And in his case, it was those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That was the issue back then. Uh, it could be any number of deceivers nowadays that are teaching things that are contrary to what the scripture says. And he says, such a one is a deceiver in the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, he's saying to those leaders, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. As we guard truth, as we protect doctrine, as we stick to the scriptures, we preserve the reward that God has for churches and people who keep it faithfully, who understand how important it is that we know God according to how he's revealed himself. And it protects the church and it protects the truth within our community. Third thing is we earn a reward through love for Christ's return. Love for Christ's return. This is ultimately just love for Christ, but you'll only long for his return properly when you long for him more than you long for anything in the world. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. Paul, if you know, this is the last letter uh, Paul wrote. He was close to his deathbed in here and, and, and didn't live much longer than he, uh, after writing 2 Timothy. So he's reflecting on his life. So I've kept the faith. And he says, henceforth or therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's that judgment seat of Christ, the 2 Corinthians 5.10. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Here's what's neat about God's rewards. This is why sometimes we struggle with the concept of rewards with God as Christians because we immediately equate them to how the world gives rewards. And in the world, there's a first place, second place, third place, and only certain people, certain abilities and talents and resources achieve that level and everyone else is ruled out. That's not how God's rewards work. Look at what Paul says here that he will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to how many? Second place or third place? Fourth place? To all who have loved his appearing. Not to everyone indiscriminately. There's not a participation ribbon saying, hey, I know you tried to, but you just had too much other stuff going on. You didn't really love the fact that Jesus was coming back. No, to all who have loved him coming back. And, that, and what this love is, it's actually a love for Jesus. It's not that love, like many of us have all done this, oh man, Jesus, I wish you'd return today because my boss is such a jerk and I got way too much credit card debt after Christmas and man, man this marriage I'm stuck in, whew, I just, if you'd come back, I'd be out of that, Lord. We've all done that before, haven't we? But that's not what Paul's talking about. That's just wanting him to come back so we can get out of the, the circumstances we've dug ourselves into. This is a longing to be with Jesus in a way that we are not here on this earth. And a person who loves Jesus like this is a person who can hardly find enough time in his day to be in his word, to pray and talk to him, to ask him, how else can I, can I, can I love you and can I obey you, Lord? That's that person that says, I want your presence. I want to be as near to you, Jesus, as I possibly can. And that only happens when we're prioritizing our relationship with him. It's no different than our earthly relationships. The ones that we invest in are the ones we treasure the most. And so when you treasure Jesus more than anything, it's because you've prioritized and invested in him. Fourth thing we see is we receive a reward from loving others, from loving others, the way the Bible calls us to love others. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke, it's recorded. He said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So Jesus talks about a love that's unconditional. A love like the love he showed to you and me. That when we are in a state of rebellion, when we were ungrateful, when we were evil toward God, even to the point of nailing his son to the cross, he chose to love anyway. And he rewards his children that love like him, that love sacrificially and put others' needs uh, above their own. Fifth thing that we see, and this kind of goes hand in hand with that, is we receive a reward when we show hospitality to those in need. Hospitality to those in need. Jesus told a parable in Luke 14 that captures this in, in the greater principle. He says, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed 
because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus talks about how uh, we love others by showing hospitality, by meeting needs of those who are unable to pay us back or, or give us some personal reward here on earth. Sixth thing that we see is I receive a reward with a proper attitude through my joyful acceptance of suffering and injustice. My joyful acceptance of suffering and injustice. Let me show you a few passages that talk about this in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay, very important. Underline that in your Bible. Being an idiot does not earn you a reward for people reviling you. Christians are notorious for being absolute idiots in the workplace or publicly and how they think they're manifesting their faith, their, their faith and then people revile them or, or slander them and do that and they walk away all puffed up thinking, oh, that's exactly what Jesus said would get me in a reward. No, Jesus never said you, you get a reward for being a jerk, for being rude, for being in someone's face. No, he says, on my account. He's saying, when you love people the way Jesus loved people and they revile you and falsely accuse you, rejoice, he says, and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James says it like this, blessed is the man and the woman who remain steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And in Revelation, Jesus said this to one of the churches, of the seven churches. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. A special reward when we joyfully accept suffering and injustice. Now, let me clarify this briefly. Joyful acceptance doesn't mean you spiritualize away the pain or that you have no strong emotions over the hurt or the circumstances that you're going through. It simply means that you can move past them and see a perspective that's beyond them and have hope that you don't have to dwell or remain stuck or, or ultimately what's become very common in our modern society has become a, a victim to our society or to our circumstances or the injustices that have happened in our lives and those begin to define you as if you have lost something so vital in this world that nothing in the next world could ever compensate. That's, a, that's a, a mindset that happens when we have made an idol out of the things of this world and forgot that if we, are, if we walk through those things faithfully, God will reward us in such a way, pr I promise you, the scriptures say this, that in that moment you see him face to face, every hurt, every injustice, every pain you've ever experienced will become such a distant memory because you'll be so enraptured with just the beauty and the joy and the majesty of Jesus Christ and everything that he has provided for you. 
that you will actually, and I will, be ashamed of how much weight we gave to things that are so temporal in comparison to what's coming. Let me, let me illustrate. This is a, such an important principle because this is one that's strewn throughout all of Scripture, and we struggle with it as Americans. But let me give you an illustration, a metaphor that's used often in Scripture and I think is helpful, is, is child labor or giving birth and, and what a mother goes through to give birth to a child. Now just think about this for a minute. A mom will go through nine months of pregnancy being extremely uncomfortable and then it'll come to a pinnacle in labor and they experience intense labor pains and, and all kinds of you know, issues that come with that. But the moment they hold that child in their hands, they begin to forget what they went through. In fact, this is how crazy women are. <laughs> I'm just telling you. They'll do it again. <laughs> Some of them do it like four times or five times. It's like, hello, is anything up there? But, but here's what's funny about it. That doesn't minimize their pain. At all. In fact, you get a bunch of women together uh, that have had children and a new mom coming, and whoa, watch those women start telling the war stories. I was in labor for five days. My husband passed out. He couldn't handle it. I was still, I tore, I was torn in half. I tore from here to here. They had to stitch my whole body back together. It was horrible. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, they'll, they'll tell you how gross and grotesque and how painful, how difficult it was, but then they'll go and do the same thing again. Why do women do things like that? Because they're so incredibly godly. Because they see the reward of that child far surpasses any discomfort, any pain that they go through. Church, that's the image God gives us for this life. That once you catch a glimpse of glory, man, you will forget every single pain you've gone through in this earth. And I, and I do not say that to minimize anyone's pain. Trust me, I do not say that to minimize your pain. I simply say that to maximize how incredible that day is going to be. Seventh thing. I will receive a reward based on the stewardship of my money. I will receive a reward based on the stewardship of my money. Two simple passages that Jesus talks about very clearly with these things I think are very important for us to understand. He says this in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead don't store up any treasures at all. That would be selfish if you stored up treasures at all. Oh, wait, wait, does it say that? It doesn't say that, does it? Jesus doesn't say, you be selfish if you tried to store up treasures. Instead, he says, store them up in the right place. Store them up in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break into steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is a father who, just like any father with his children, wants him to invest in something that's going to last. Second passage he talks about is one who is faithful. In this passage, Jesus is comparing, in this little metaphor, our present life and the things he's given us and our eternal life. 
Okay, that's the contrast he's making in this little metaphor. He says, one who is faithful in very little, that's what we have right here on this earth, it's little compared to what we'll have for eternity, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So here's his conclusion. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, meaning the broken, fallenness wealth of what we have in this world, if you aren't faithful with what God's given to you here, who will entrust to you true riches, meaning what you could have and enjoy for eternity? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Okay, this is what the Bible teaches, that on this earth, everything you own is God's. You're a steward, the Bible says. He owns everything. You simply steward what's his. And what he's saying is that if, if you aren't a good steward here, if you can't be entrusted with what's not your own, then why would I give you that which is going to be your own? Because when you get to heaven, you will be given part of Jesus' inheritance for your ownership. It's given to you as a co-heir but it's based on how you steward what is not your own right here. Wow. It says, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me just illustrate this real quick. If I were to take off after this Sunday, have some vacation, and, and over my vacation time, I purchased a vacation home, bought a really nice boat, you know, bought a couple new cars, bought a whole new wardrobe, and when I got back, said, hey, yeah, I just used the money that was in the church savings account. How would you feel if you saw me living like that off the church's money? How many people would be pretty ticked off about that? Come on. You guys aren't that gracious. I've been here long enough to know that. You'd be really upset, wouldn't you? Because that money is not mine. It's the church's money. I'm a steward of the dollars that we have here. We create a budget, and my job is to execute the budget according to how we've decided as a church. And for me to go outside that is to be a poor steward. Now, when we get to the end of the year and we go over our whole budget and we show how it goes, if we've done what we've done and we see all the work we've accomplished, then I'm patted on the back saying, good job, Chad, you've been faithful. Your staff has been faithful to steward the dollars as we said. But if I showed up and I had all this other stuff and I was saying, hey, I just took it out of the church account, you'd be really upset. And you should be. But here's our problem. We can easily do that with someone else who's not being a steward. But the truth is, every single one of us is a steward of God's stuff. And just as it would be right to hold a pastor accountable for how he stewarded someone else's money, God is going to hold you accountable for how you stewarded what he gave to you. So at least be consistent. How can he entrust you with what is yours if you won't even steward wisely what's not yours? Rewards for that. Last one is faithfulness in my job. I receive a reward through faithfulness in my job. I'm ending with this one because tomorrow's Monday and all you got to go back to your jobs tomorrow, right? 
I know you're excited about this. I'm going to show you how you can make tomorrow the best day of the year in your work. Okay, Faithfulness in my job. Paul said it like this to the Colossian church. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, bond servants. A bond servant was uh, a lot like an employee nowadays. They weren't slaves. Slaves in the Bible times weren't like slaves that we experience in our nation that were taken from another nation and brought and forced into labor. Many of them willingly put themselves under their master's employment in a sense. They were paid for it, and they had actually contractual obligations. So it's much more like an employee would be today to his boss. And so you can put those words in. Employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly bosses, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You know, one of the the things that makes me most proud about being part of this church is everywhere around the city I bump into people and I can tell them, oh yeah, so-and-so from our church works there. They're a teacher there or they work in that business. Or, and, and you guys are some of the best employees in the places that I bump into people. Most of you are. Sometimes I, I don't mention that you come to church here. I'm kidding. Not really, but... But that's the, that should be the case. No one in the city should be more faithful and a better steward and a better employee than Christians. Because you're not working for your boss. You're working for the boss. And when you honor him in your work, trust me, your employer will absolutely love you. And he'll say, why in the world do you work the way you do for this job? you're in and you can tell them so let me ask you these questions as we close today which area are you uh, we talked about today would you say you're failing to pursue an eternal reward if you had to circle one or two of them wh- which areas would you say you know what I- I'm not doing I'm not, I've lost my focus in this particular area what area would that be let me make that, let me, let me help you see it in a little bit different way. It, what earthly reward has become so important to you in this area that you're willing to sacrifice your eternal one? What is it in this world that's become so important to you that you're willing to sacrifice an eternal reward that's infinitely greater and will last infinitely longer? to hang on to something in this world. Lastly, what are you going to do about it? When I was a kid, back in the days of Hot Wheels, and my best friend lived next door, loved playing with our Hot Wheels. We'd create little trails and put up rocks and roads, and, and my prized Hot Wheel was a Porsche 911 Carrera. I'd always wanted to have a Porsche as a kid. I thought, man, the coolest cars, they were really, you know, hot back then. And, this, and I had my little, and that was my favorite car. He could take any other car, but not my Porsche, because my Porsche could beat his cars any time when we raced our Hot Wheels. I never have ever gotten the chance to, to drive a Porsche. Once my dad actually took me to a Porsche dealership 
when I was in high school. He said, let's just go. Maybe they'll, you know, we'll go test drive one. I, I don't know if it was because I didn't shower that day or I was in cutoffs or what, but they didn't even look at us the whole time we walked around. They never even came up and approached us. I never got the chance to drive that Porsche. Drove my little Hot Wheel, but never the real thing. You know, wouldn't it be sad if someone came up and said, Chad, guess what? I want to give you a brand new Porsche 911. My eyes would get big. And he says, there's just one condition on it, Chad. Well, what is it? What is it? I'll do anything. Well, you got to give me your Porsche Hot Wheel. How sad would it be if I said, well, man, I, I grew up with this and it's won every race against my buddy Mark that we've ever had. And I mean, I've really grown attached to it. It's got my initials carved on it. I, I really love this little Hot Wheel. I know, Chad, but I want to give you the real thing. Uh, how sad would it be if I was so hung up on my little Hot Wheel that I failed to reach out and take Church, that's what eternal rewards are. When you become a person who's focused on eternal rewards, you will slowly become immune to the difficulties of this world. Because you will realize nothing you lose in this world can even come close to what you and I will enjoy for all of eternity. Jesus is enjoying it now. He's the one that earned it all. And he said, I died so that I could share my inheritance with you. I can't wait for you to get here. But in the meantime, I need you to let go of some things so you can grab onto something so much better. Let's pray. Lord, you truly are a good father because you could not make your truth any more clear. You tell it in stories. You use pictures. You use metaphors. You use direct teaching. Lord, everywhere we turn in your word, you've so lovingly taught us exactly what you want for us. So Lord, may your spirit sow these truths into our hearts. May you fixate them in our minds so that when we wander towards the temporal rewards of this world, that our heart and our mind will be quickened to the things that will truly last. So that when we see you face to face, we might hear those words, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the riches. Enter into the pleasures of your master. In Jesus' name we pray.